Hello guys, welcome to my channel. Here's True Han contention in brief. I'm Shuai. In this episode, I will talk about the decline of the dynasty before True Han contention took places, which is also literally the cause of True Han contention. History flows like a river. So does every dynasty in history. Whether in the east or the west, there are always rises and falls for a dynasty. And the rise of the dynasty is always accompanied by the fall of the previous one. This was also the case with the Chuhan contention, a Chinese civil war for power that took place after the first official dynasty in Chinese history, the Qing dynasty. So, before I talk about the Chuhan contention, I think I must talk about the Qing dynasty first. It must be said that the Qing dynasty was indeed a great dynasty since it's the first official dynasty in China. And the first emperor of the Qing dynasty, also known as the first emperor in Chinese history, established the first unified regime on this land, or on this vast land. For centuries before that, the land of China was covered with many, many small states that constantly fighting for power. Just like all the wild period, people just randomly fighting each other for power, for honor, or whatever. They got no chill to each other, and the land was always covered with many wars. And the one who's always suffering from this is the ordinary people. As you can imagine, life was poor and miserable at that time. And the people lived under the torment of war, that even though China already had civilization and history for thousands of years, it had never been unified in the true sense of the word. Which is really shocks to me, because China actually has 5,000 years of history and civilization, but the first empire only established like 2,500 years ago, which is the Qin Dynasty. Uh, back to the topic. During the centuries of war, from more than 140 small states, large and small more or less, the seven most powerful states were formed. In this way, the seven states lasted for a surprisingly long period of another 200 years, during which time there was still a frequent warfare. Finally, in 236 BC, the king of Qing, Ying Zheng, who had only been on the throne for two years, probably out of desire for power or to save his people from suffering, but according to what he has done in the later years, I swear it's not because of this, or perhaps because he wanted to complete the great task of unifying China which at that time was not well developed in terms of navigation and the countries were all inland in China. So unifying China seemed to the people of that time to be almost like conquer the whole world. And he was always encouraged by some very talented people that Ying Zheng eventually led his country into a war of unification against other six countries. It eventually took 15 years, during which time six other countries were annexed one by one, and thus Qin became the first unified regime in history of China, and from the state of Qin to the Qin dynasty, and Ying Zheng from the king of Qin to the first emperor of China. This unification, which took a hundred years and was the first after China had produced civilization for 2000 years, had a super 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 huge huge impact both then and later on. After unifying China, Qin Shi Huang, which is Ying Zheng, has also unified it culturally, 
The most important of this was the unification of the Chinese language and writing system, which largely eliminated the barriers to communication between people, and the unification of the language, which allowed the Chinese people to merge from different regions into a larger community. A further important unification was that of ways and measures, which meant that units of measurement and money were unified. As a result, this greatly facilitated trade at that time. However, beyond all this glamour, the dynasty was absolutely tragic. It is easy to see that Qin Shi Huang was an ambitious and ambitious man, but beyond this, he had a great desire for power. He needed. And he loved it. And during his reign, he had absolute control over everyone. And the whole dynasty and all the people had to subservient to him. The people were controlled by law and by the army. And the laws of the Qin dynasty was extremely harsh. The most famous of which was the collective punishment. This meant, when a person committed a serious crime, not only was he punished personally, but his relatives and his friends were also punished. The most brutal of this was execution, which meant that when a person committed a capital offense, all his relatives and friends were also executed. The most basic being is the execution of three clans, meaning that the immediate family of the person's father, the immediate family of his mother, and the immediate family of his wife were also punished by death. In those days, the maximum punishment was the execution of seven clans. So. You can imagine how bloody and cruel the society was at that time. It was also a time of heavy punishment for minor crimes. Qin Shi Huang thinks it's a way to stop people from breaking the law and ensure social stability and justice. He personally believed that by punishing a thousand guilty people, he could actually protect a million innocent ones. But to be fair, it's just, I would say, a daydream. Because in reality, the harsh laws only trapped the people in painful struggle and suffering, which led directly to the subsequent uprising that broke out across the country and directly led to the destruction of the empire. And I will talk more about this later on. The ambitious Qin Shi Huang wanted the country to be his alone, and he feared a return to the chaos of a non-unified empire where power was scattered among different people and there were multiple empires on a single piece of land. At the same time, and therefore, he created a centralized system that would, in fact, last for a thousand years in China. Which meant he systematized the power from concept, a controlling force over people, to a specific structure in Chinese society in which the people were governed by officials, and the government had different departments which were run by higher officials, and all the government departments and officials served the emperor. So the power was distributed among the various classes of society, but at the same time was centralized. The government could easily monopolize all resources, and all resources belonged first and foremost to the government, to this one and only person on the throne. This man was very straightforward, to be honest. And after the establishment of the Qin Dynasty, he very quickly confiscated the land and resources of the powerful nobles. Very straightforwardly, widened the possibility of these powerful nobles having power and strength. This was also down to cut off the possibility of Qin Shi Huang's power being taken away from him by others, through surprising the powerful and depriving them of their power, and also to grow his power even more, 
And in this way, it just like give little cautions on these noble people who were actually greedy for the power. And in this way, Qin Shi Huang accomplished a number of things efficiently, and more importantly to him, consolidated his power. So it must be said that Ying Zheng was indeed a skillful leader. This ambitious, brutal, greedy, harsh, and skilled leader had a deeper quest for power. Qin Shi Huang developed a concept which, according to my personal translation, I will say is family society, which basically means hereditary monarchy. In Qin Shi Huang's idea, everything under the sky belonged to him personally, and after him, it would be passed on to his sons and then to his grandsons. And the family's member would pass it down from generation to generation, and China, or at that time their whole world, would belong to him and his children, and the Qing Dynasty would live on until eternity. Unfortunately, this was just an unrealistic and hypocritical vision, and ironically, oh, actually, feeling kind of bad for him, the Qing Dynasty actually lasted only 15 short years in history. Going up in smoke a few years after Ying Zheng's death, making it the shortest dynasty in Chinese history. Isn't that crazy? The first official dynasty in China is also the shortest dynasty in China, and the dynasty used to suck and live forever, only lasted 15 years. Okay, back to the topic. Even though the concept of family society is crazy enough, Qin Shi Huang had. Other alternative idea about the pursuit of power. He wanted the country to be his own forever than to have it under the control of his family. And thanks to the feudal superstitions of his society and the deception of people with ulterior motives, he believed that in this wonderful world, on this wonderful earth, human could live forever. And he believed. That he could achieve eternal life and be happy forever with the country he loved. According to the historical records, Emperor Qin Shi Huang ordered a navigator called Xu Fu to help him find the legendary sacred mountain and the medicine that would help him live forever. So, in 219 BC, Xu Fu set sail with a thousand people to explore the unknown seas. But after two searches, he failed to find the medicine that would allow people to live forever. On the third time, Xu Fu did not return, and Qin Shi Huang never heard from Xu Fu again about the medicine of immortality until his death. According to historical records, Xu Fu actually ended up on the island of Japan. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter where Xu Fu ended up, and whether or not there is a medicine of immortality in this world, I guess there probably isn't. But the reality is that Qin Shi Huang died at the age of 49. Ironically, Qin Shi Huang sought immortality, but eventually died in this same quest. At that time, cinnabar was considered to be a medicine that would prolong life, but in fact, it contained large amounts of mercury, an ingredient known to be extremely toxic. And Qin Shi Huang's dramatic life was eventually ended by the ingestion of large amounts of mercury. Just because Qin Shi Huang had a deep obsession with immortality and power, doesn't mean that he didn't have a plan B. Plan A was true immortality, 
and Plan B was another way to carry out his reign for eternity. By this, I mean, continue to inherit his power and strength in life in the world after death. Chinese people believe that human has a soul, and that the soul and consciousness are immortal. And I think that Qin Shi Huang was even more convinced of this idea, before he was even the first emperor. When he is only the king of the Qin state at that time, he already began to order people to build tombs for himself. Rather than a regular tomb, I will call it a palace for the soul. And it was somewhat similar in significance to the pyramid in Egypt. It was also one of the most crazy creations of Qin Shi Huang's life, employing 700,000 people over several decades to create a tomb for him with palaces, armies, temples, and rooms covering a total area of some 60 square kilometers. So it is not just a tomb; it is complete underground city. Everything in the tomb was given to him for burial and to help him continue his reign in the world after his death. The army in the tomb is particularly spectacular, with an army of a thousand soldiers, all made of clay and very elaborately carved. But imagine how much effort and wealth this underground city cost the empire. And how many people's lives were sacrificed to build this? But it is also a reflection of the tyranny of the Qin Dynasty and its first emperor, the crazy dude Ning Zheng. Even though the centuries of warfare had finally ended, the people, however, lived in another more painful, more tortured life. Finally. At the end of the Qin Dynasty, which only lasted for 15 years, the people could stand it no longer, and anger swept over the dynasty.